0: Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. I think the top story that has garnered international headlines has been that of Jamal Khashoggi. He's a resident of Virginia and contributor to the Washington Post. Mr. Khashoggi was last seen entering the Saudi consulate in Istanbul on October 2nd, where it is believed that he was captured and murdered the administration has been deciding on how to deal with this saudi arabia is one of our allies and we have a lot of interest there but everybody's pinning it on the crown prince there in saudi arabia to come up with some type of answer so we started off by talking to nahal tuzi She's the foreign affairs correspondent for Politico for background on who Jamal Khashoggi is. And then we'll get into all the details that have surfaced since that interview.
1: He actually had been very nervous about going to the consulate, but you know, he wanted this document so that he could get remarried. And he went into the consulate, as he said, didn't come out. And people have ever since then been saying, what happened? And in the beginning, the Saudis said, he left, he's fine. But the Turks, through anonymous sources and intelligence officials, and the like basically said that they had come to believe that he had been killed inside the consulate and possibly dismembered that there was a 15-member Saudi team that had flown in basically within that same 24 hours because this was like a pre-scheduled appointment for him. So they knew he was coming and they came, the 15-member team came and then they, they left and he never reappeared. And this all comes with the backdrop of increasing repression in Saudi Arabia, especially against anyone who speaks out against the changes or, or any initiatives that the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has been pursuing. Now, and it's kind of strange because he's also been, this Crown Prince has been imposing some reforms, but are, is very much being cheered by the West. He has tried to cultivate this reputation as a progressive, as a reformer in this deeply conservative Muslim country, but he's been coupling that with this very, authoritarian, harsh crackdown on dissent. And this was one of the reasons that Jamal Khashoggi had grown very disillusioned with the conference, and it was writing columns attacking him. And so this seems to have upset the government. Now, of course, the latest reports are a bit different about where where things are going, but we'll we'll get to that, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, uh, as you were saying, Khashoggi in his early writings was uh, very supportive almost a go-between between a lot of journalists and then when the crown prince came a little more into power and obviously he would be next in line he changed his tone so obviously the, you know, the crown prince did not like any of that and they're saying that for something a hit or something like that to have been taken out against him it would have had to been ordered by the crown prince himself that's what leads to all of this international intrigue now and what happened and why was he ordered to be killed or captured or abducted or something one of the the updates now is that they're saying that Saudi officials are preparing some type of report to acknowledge that Hashoji his death was the result of an interrogation that went wrong. They're still saying that things can change in this report. It's not solid yet, but that's kind of what we're hearing now.
1: Right. So this is a CNN report. And what's really striking about it, if if this comes out to be the case, if, if they do report that indeed Khashoggi died while in Saudi custody, first of all, you know, let's not forget the Saudis originally said that he was fine and that he left. So it shows that apparently they lied from the beginning. And if they now say, well, we only meant to interrogate him. We didn't mean to kill him. It was an accident. I guess that's not out of the realm of possibility. It's something that President Trump almost seemed to indicate that it's the type of story that he would accept. And it's not impossible. I mean, because because the studies, although they do have a history of perhaps trying to coax people to come back to the kingdom or rendition them or kidnap them they don't really have a history of killing people
0: if he dies because of harsh interrogation techniques let's just say that's something pretty serious it's not like they were just trying to just trying to question him you know this takes it that step further and where's the body one of these people that apparently went in had a bone saw. That's why they think that he was dismembered. And the president has made Saudi Arabia one of our allies in that area. The reports are that Jared Kushner is very close friends with the crown prince also. And, you know, they're trying to open up the area to business and things like that. So I don't know if it would put a halt to it, but it would really severely impact what's going on there.
1: This is- What's well, extraordinary. I'm, I'm being told, though, that like inside Saudi Arabia, people are a bit frustrated with this because they're saying the Saudis have stood with the United States through so many different things. We cooperate with them on every level. Why should this one guy, this one incident, scuttle all that? And there's no indication that the, this administration is prepared to, by any means, end its relationship with Saudi I mean, it's not even... I don't think any administration would necessarily do that over, right. over this. But you have to remember, this isn't just any other opinion writer or journalist. I mean, this guy is very prominent. He knew people, many, many people in the U.S. foreign policy community. He wrote for a very powerful newspaper. And also, you know, frankly, like when it comes down to it, often when you have a single face or a single name, that often captures the imagination of the public right. more than when you say a thousand people were killed today in this war, you know? <laughs> so it, it's become a very emotional issue. I know members of Congress. English are very very upset about this on both sides. I mean, they're really mad about yeah.
0: this. And we're, we're still waiting for any type of evidence. They're saying that Turkey might have a lot of evidence, but they're not sharing any of it just yet. And yeah, a lot well, of people. Yeah, the are,
1: Turks are not the most reliable narrators <laughs> right. either. So you have to be really careful with
0: everything they say. And a lot of people are making something out of Khashoggi's Apple Watch, saying that he set it up to record and it went back to the cloud and to his iPhone, which his fiance had, and there might be some type of recording of what that interrogation sounded like.
1: Yeah, but the other theory on that is that Turkey wants that story out there because they don't want to admit that they have the Saudi consulate wired.
0: Nahal Tuzi, foreign affairs correspondent for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. There has been a ton of developments since that interview that we did with Nahal that kind of sets up what the whole story is about. After that, Turkish officials were leaking all sorts of stories to the media. Part of it was they said they had audio recordings of what happened inside the Saudi consulate. They said that Mr. Khashoggi was dead within minutes and within two hours, all of the killers were gone. They said there was a 15 person hit team that went in there. Miranda, tell us what some of these gruesome details were, because It plays like a spy movie. All this secret shady stuff happening in these political consulates, you know, it's crazy the secrecy that happens in there that they think that they can get away with this kind of stuff. What are some of these details of how they say he died?
2: Yeah. And like you said, there were 15 people waiting for him for hours to show up and they knew what they were going to do. They had this all planned out from the beginning. And like you said, he was dead within minutes. They severed his fingers and cut his head off. And as they cut off his head and dismembered his body, there was a doctor of forensic who had been brought along so that he could assist with the dissection and the disposal of some of the body parts. And he had some advice for them, including one was to listen to music as he put his own headphones on, because that's what he liked to do
0: to try to ease the tension when, quote, doing such work. They said that he was dead within minutes, but... How quick and fast the torture was, you know, I'm assuming. And what were those minutes like? Right, exactly. I'm assuming some of those minutes were spent cutting fingers off. Uh, Once you cut off your head, that's kind of the end the end of it. But yeah, for this doctor to want to be wearing these headphones and listening to music just to drown out the craziness of what's going on in front of you. Is just ridiculous. Well, there
2: are reports that one of the members of the 15 person assassin team rolled in there with a bone saw. Right. That's going to make some uh, gross noises. Exactly. You don't want to
0: hear. This has turned into just a mess on the diplomatic side. The United States is struggling with how to respond to this. The world is crying out that Saudi Arabia and the crown prince is directly involved in this. The Trump administration wants to tread very lightly. They are an ally. We do a lot of business with them. They buy a lot of weapons from us in the billions of dollars. And the president doesn't want to endanger that. President Trump spoke to reporters and acknowledged that it certainly looks as though he's dead now. What else did the president say and how? what else is going on in the administration?
2: In addition to his comments that it, quote, certainly looks as though... Khashoggi is dead. He threatened very severe consequences if the Saudis are found to have murdered him. And before he spoke, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin pulled out of a major upcoming Saudi investment conference. Mike Pompeo has been over there interviewing people trying to figure out what's gone on. And he even advised that the Saudis should be given a few more days to finish and make public their credible investigation before the U.S. decides how or if they want to respond.
0: Yeah, give them a few more days to think about how they want to cover this up. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so, a lot of evidence now they're releasing video surveillance of this 15-person hit team walking in to the consulate, walking out You know, with a huge briefcase. We'll get into some of those details in just a minute. And we never saw joji <sighs> walking out. And he never walked out himself. This investment conference that's happening there and uh, Steve Mnuchin pulling out, there's all sorts of companies that have pulled out just saying... We can't do business with you until we know what's happening. Nobody wants to do business with killers. And this is a major blow to them because at this point with the crown prince coming into power very soon, they're portraying him as a reformer. He's very good friends with Jared Kushner. He's trying to open up the country to a lot of new investment. And this is just totally throwing a wrench into it. Mike Pompeo is telling him, you need to have a credible investigation and a credible answer to all this. Or you're not going to be a credible king when your time comes.
2: And it's important that you bring up the Jared Kushner connection because he's one of those people who is a top aide to President Trump. He's been in President Trump's ear and we can kind of hear the conversation that they've had when President Trump spoke to the media on Thursday about what's going on with the investigation. Because Trump emphasized the billions of dollars in weapons the Saudi purchases from the U.S. and all of the money that exchanges hands between the two countries.
0: So what are the rulers of Saudi Arabia considering? Where are they trying to place the blame on this?
2: They want to blame one of the Crown Prince Mohammed's top intelligence officers. And the plan is to assign blame to Major General Ahmad al-Asiri. He's a high-ranking advisor to the Crown Prince. And blaming this general would provide a reasonable explanation for the killing and try to deflect the blame from the prince because American intelligence agencies are very convinced... The crown prince was the one who was behind Jamal Khashoggi's
0: disappearance. This stuff doesn't just happen. There are no rogue agents for the most part in Saudi Arabia. These things come from the top down direct orders and things like that. So that's what makes this much more interesting how they're trying to place the blame on this general they're saying that they're expecting the Saudis will say that the general received verbal authorization from Prince Mohammed to capture Mr. Khashoggi for an interrogation, but either he misunderstood the instructions or overstepped that authorization and then took his life. Uh, something crazy happened during the inter- interrogation, and we had to cut his fingers and his head off and things like that. So but even in that's that scenario, how they're trying to blame it away.
2: Prince Mohammed would still have ordered this enhanced interrogation operation to happen abduct a resident of the united states only because he liked to write negative articles about saudi arabia leaders
0: and that's the thing they're trying to distance him as much as possible from it obviously he has some type of involvement it's pretty hard to not draw that conclusion anymore but they're just trying to give him as much distance four of the suspects that turkey has blamed on mr khashoggi's death belong to the security team that travels with Prince Mohammed. They've been in pictures in recent trips in at least five cities, Paris, Madrid, Houston, Boston, New York. They've all been with him. And this one guy in particular that was there, they've released timestamp pictures where he is entering a few hours before Mr. Khashoggi. He goes to the consul general's home. He leaves a Turkish hotel with a large suitcase. Then he leaves the country from Istanbul's international airport all in the same day. And that's when Mr. Khashoggi went in and never came back out of the consulate. So these are the Prince Mohammed's top guys, his top security guys. It's hard not to imagine that he is not involved somehow.
2: One thing to note also, Oscar, is that General Assiri did not respond to any phone calls from the New York Times <laughs> speaking comment.
0: I, I d- love that at the bottom of the report is like, hey, we reached out to the guy, but we don't know if he killed this guy or not. He hasn't told yeah. us. This thing is just subject to so much international intrigue right now. And it is going to be very crucial to see how they p- place the blame and then how the U.S. responds to it after that. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Oscar. Another interesting story that happened during the week was this race to own the future of TV and how it's intensifying. Mobile and streaming video companies are looking to build and expand the services, and a lot of them are launching next year. There's billions of dollars at stake for whichever company can win the attention of younger generations. They're abandoning traditional TV in droves. And as I said, the scramble is so urgent. A lot of these new services are starting within the next year. Over 60% of young adults say that the primary way they watch television now is via streaming services on the internet. So to get more on this, we spoke to Sarah Fisher. She's a media reporter for Axios. And we started off by talking about how younger viewers are ditching traditional TV.
3: What's happening now is that a lot of, especially younger people who are so used to digital experiences where they can hit pause on a show, they can fast forward they can binge watch it without commercials. They don't like the experience that they're getting with regular TV, where you have to sit through really outdated commercials, and there you have to wait for something to go through a whole show. You can't fast forward, and so they're not buying it anymore. Instead. They'd rather pay for either what are called the guinea bundles, so just cheaper versions of live TV channels, or something like a Netflix, which has really taken off, where they can pay just something like $10 a month, $14 a month, and get hundreds... Of television shows and movies that they can watch and binge at their
0: leisure some of these numbers are interesting 60% of young adults in the US say that the primary way they watch television is through these streaming services on the internet by comparison only 31% say they watch it via cable or satellite subscription that's twice the number that are using their phones and tablets and other things like that to consume this media
3: There's a distinction to be made, and we touched on this in a piece for Axios.com, which is that you have some people who look at the fragmented TV landscape and they say, hey, the reason younger kids don't like to watch as much TV is because their nose is in their phone." Right. And what they want is TV or video that they can consume on their phone, you know, mobily shot with vertical orientation, fast production cues, etc. Kind of like the stuff you would get on like a Snapchat or Instagram. Then yeah. there are people who are saying, look, I know that young kids love mobile video. But at the end of the day, if a young kid watch Game of Thrones or a new TV show... They're not going to sit and watch Game of Thrones on their phone. They do want to sit in their living room and see it on a big screen. So you have two different strategies. You have the Snapchats and Instagrams of the world who are trying to really win you on your phone. And then you have the bigger companies like the AT&T's, the HBO's, who still want to own you on your regular TV.
0: Let's talk about some of the big players on mobile. Then let's talk about some of the big players on all this subscription stuff. Snapchat and Instagram, YouTube, obviously one of the biggest ones. It's been huge for years.
3: New player that hasn't launched yet, but everyone's talking about is this one called Quibi, which is being launched from a bunch of Hollywood execs. It's meant to kind of rival like a Snapchat. And then the other ones that are more streaming focused, the types of things that would compete with like a Netflix or a Hulu. There's one that's being built by Disney and that's set to come out late next year. It'll be family friendly content. The last big one, I think that's beginning to gain traction or that people are beginning to talk a lot about is Hulu. Disney owns 30% stake. Fox owns a 30% stake because Disney's buying Fox. They now in the majority of it. So it'll be interesting to see how that one evolves. But again, Hulu is really far behind Netflix. Hulu has something like 20 million subscribers. Netflix has 125 million.
0: Netflix came on the scene and they were doing a lot of movies and have now transitioned into all sorts of original programming, TV shows and movies. You're going to have choices all over the place and it's going to be... Tearing you away from the traditional TV cable bundles.
3: You know, the other thing to remember is that for a really long time, there was a reluctance for TV networks to own their content and just keep it to themselves. They wanted to distribute it far and wide on Netflix and Amazon because they figured, well, we just need the most eyeballs. Well now, especially because so many networks own Hulu and they're starting to build their own services, they're starting to pull their content off of those services. Notice some of your favorite Fox shows are no longer on Netflix. Right. There's a reason for that. They want to make sure that the way that they can undermine some of their competition is by keeping their intellectual property, keeping their content proprietary to them so that if you want it as a consumer, you can only go to them. And you know, while a lot of people think that content like Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad is what's luring people, when you're a family and you've got little kids, you really want that Disney content. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of families invest and buy that package.
0: It's going to be interesting, and but there will be no shortage of things to watch now. So it's going to be crazy how it all shakes out. Sarah Fisher, media reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: forget to join us on social media at daily dive pod on twitter and daily dive podcast on facebook leave us a comment give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts i'm oscar ramirez and this is the daily dive weekend edition